0: Well obviously, we're dealing with the issue of uh, premarital sex today, and uh, that video is from uh, college students from LSU. Uh, interesting, they're, they're in the Bible belts, and you saw quite a variety of opinions. Most of them, though, in favor of premarital sex, like it's a big deal. Uh, I would refer to that as situational ethics. They would say, well, if you're in love or something else, you know, and then it's okay. Um, but today, I, I know lots of you are married and you're probably thinking, man, I knew I should have stayed home. Uh, because you think this doesn't apply to you. Well, I want to encourage you. Uh, I want to suggest that we all need to have a better understanding of what uh, this issue is about, what the Bible teaches, and the impact that it's having on our society as a whole. Uh, I realize that uh, we live in what's you know been for actually a generation or two called the sexual revolution. And uh, I, as a pastor, I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands, of people over the last 35 years who've actually. Uh, experience a lot of devastation in their lives because they're unaware of what the Bible teaches, of some practical wisdom here in this issue. And I also know that this issue has affected the church at large. That one of the most common reasons given for the massive exodus of 20 somethings from the church today is that they don't like what the church teaches about premarital sex. They don't want to hear it, so they don't. And quite frankly, I understand that I'm pushing a rock uphill today. Uh, last service, uh, four or five people got up and left as I talked, as I taught this. I'm going to ask you today to listen. Uh, I'm going to ask you, I'm begging you to just listen. Even if you disagree with me, even if this is a hot button issue for you and you're really mad, you know, you can email me or call me, but I want to encourage you to listen. Uh, I understand that our culture um, has made this okay. As I said last week, unfortunately, what our culture has done is it's normalized the abnormal. And in so many ways, that's what's happened. We've normalized the abnormal many, most, the majority of millennials, Gen Xers, and even some baby boomers see sex as nothing more than just recreational activity. Just a satisfaction of a physical need, no big deal, and they would say it's okay outside of marriage. In a survey done by the Barna Group just last month, January of 2016, only 50% said they believe sex outside of marriage is wrong. Of the thousands that were interviewed, only 50%, about half of them said they thought sex outside of marriage was wrong. This included Christians and non Christians, and it's uh, disturbing to me that in the church we find more and more Christ followers, people who have grown up in the church, or they have become Christ followers and they don't get it. They don't understand. Uh, Obviously, age does have a factor in this. Millennials, Gen Xers are, by and large, uh, percentage wise, more inclined to say it's okay than boomers, but even that's changing because our culture is changing. And just 11% of those who identify themselves as atheists or agnostics or nuns. They'd say they have no religious affiliation. Only 11% believed in traditional moral ethics regarding sex outside of marriage. They didn't even bring in Christian Bible stuff. They just, traditional moral ethics, about 11% uh, said they believe in that. The overwhelming majority said no, they don't. Again, in our culture, many in the church um, as well have rejected the admonition of sexual purity. They see it out as outdated, prudish, and in fact, even ridiculous. Uh, I hear it all the time. Oh, you got you can't be serious. So this would be tortured to ask me to wait until marriage. Well, that's just stupid. There's no way. And again, uh, I understand I'm swimming upstream against this issue. I know that. And that's why I'm asking you to listen today. Listen to what the Bible says, listen to some statistics that you know completely outside of Christian statistics, just facts that are in our culture today because I want to encourage you with this. The word says Ephesians 5:3. Paul wrote this, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Paul makes it really clear among you, those of you who call yourselves Christ followers, those who say that they follow Jesus, there must not be even a hint, not even a whiff, not even a sniff, not even a little bit of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Now, I talked about this last week. This word sexual immorality comes from the Greek word in the original language of the New Testament, word porneia. We translate that. We get the word pornography from that. We we use that often in our culture. But the word sexual morality, the King James version translates it as fornication. Maybe you've heard that word. But sexual immorality is actually a very good uh, translation of the word porneia because it includes a wide variety of sexual sins. as I said last week, everything from bestiality to homosexuality to premarital sex to to anything outside of the bond of covenant marriage. And so Paul addresses this in Ephesians. He says, Don't go there. Don't even go. And he says, Why? He addresses here why we should avoid it. Well, because it's outside of the bounds and improper for those who belong to God. Paul's appealing to us and to the church in Ephesus, saying, Because of who you are, because of what Christ has done in you, because of what he's done for you, don't go there. The fact of the matter is, frequently in the word, we're given very specific instructions. Now, let me be clear about something, because I grew up in a church that didn't teach this much and I want to make sure you get this the Bible is not a book about do's and don'ts it's not a book of a bunch of rules Uh, When we talk about coming to a relationship with Christ we mean that the Bible is about relationship entering into a relationship with God the Father through faith in Christ Jesus it's all about relationship however when we have a relationship with God there are things because of the nature of that relationship, because of who we are now in him that the Bible says, because of what God has done for you, because of who you are in Christ, because of the relationship you now have with Him, don't go there. Don't do this. Live differently. And it challenges us to live lives that are representative of who we are now in Christ. I need to say this as well, and this is something that is so common. People tend to look at God as a killjoy, that He's a prude. Uh, that, that he just has a bad attitude about sex and obviously that, you know, and, and, the, and, and, and we're, we're more modern now. We understand things that God doesn't understand and, and it doesn't apply to us nowadays. And they think that God is prudish or killjoy. Listen, and if you hear anything else I say today, I'm begging you to hear this. If there's anything else I want you to walk out of here with, this is the big deal. This is it. Because God loves you, he has established holy standards as guardrails for your protection. Because he loves you. You see, I'm not here to beat people up, to make them feel guilty, to you know, to try and shame you into anything. What I want to do is inspire and encourage and motivate you today to understand that God loves you. And because he loves you, he has established some guardrails for your protection. We tend to think that God is being restrictive, and truth is being protective, and there's a vast difference between those two words. God has established guardrails Parameters for us to live within for our protection because he loves you Years ago, I traveled in Southeast Asia quite a bit was there a couple times uh, Was in Sri Lanka and India and Nepal and Thailand and i got a picture of a road in that I that I, I've been on that road and it's in Nepal and there is uh, one thing you notice right away. There are no guardrails and that's actually not the worst of it. There are times when you literally look out the window and you're looking straight down thousands of feet. And I remember thinking when I'm on this road driving, where are the guardrails? And the guy that's driving is in a four-wheel, vehicle, uh, four-wheel drive vehicle, but he's going way too fast. And you can't see half the time what's coming, and what's going on. And I remember thinking, man, I really miss the guardrails. Why? Because I understood that they were protective. They were something that would help. Guardrails are for our benefit. We get that. We understand that. And I don't resent guardrails. I never drive down a highway going, man, those stinking guardrails. They're really restrictive. I don't. You know, when I'm on a mountain highway, I'm grateful for them. I don't see them as restrictive. I see them as protective. And I'm begging you today. I'm asking you to understand that the God has given us guardrails for our benefit, for our protection, because he loves us. When you tell your kid to not touch the stove, it's not because you're mean. Well, you might be mean, but that's not why you tell them that. You tell them not to do that because you don't want them to be scarred for life. You don't want them to get hurt. You say, hold Bobby's hand when we cross this busy road. Why? Because you're meany. meanie? Because you're just so stuff and tough and strict and, and why don't you just let them run free? Why do you do that? Because you love them. Because you care about them. Because you don't want them to get hurt. In the same way... God gives us his word and he establishes a moral standard, not because he's mean, but because he's a loving father who wants to protect us. And so his guardrails, his yes, commandments, his precepts, his directives are for our good. Now, let's be honest, that doesn't mean we like them all the time. It doesn't mean we always understand that. But I do want you to see that they're there because he loves you. Psalm 119, 105 says this. Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light unto my path. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light for my path. If you've ever stumbled in the darkness, you understand the value of light—a good flashlight. A couple of weeks ago, I was walking from that door. I'd come in, I'd parked in the back, and I'd come in through here, and I, I was walking here, and I could see the crack of light underneath the door. And when the lights is pitch black in this room but I could see, you know, where I was going and a little bit of light coming through the door. So I thought, well, I'll just, I was in a hurry. I'll just make it. I ran right into this pole. I mean, smack dab into this pole. <laughs> Last time I ever do that. I'm, from now on, it's take the time, pull your phone out app, get that flashlight app out and use it. And I'm not kidding, it hurt. I ran smack dab into this thing because I was in the dark. God's word, it says, is a lamp. It's a lamp to guide my feet, to guide our way, to light, a light for our path. It's not to hurt us, it's to help us. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians 5 later on, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. In the Bible, whenever you see the word fool, Old and New Testament, I'm going to give you a little definition because it's important you understand what does the Bible mean when it uses the word fool. Uh, it's not. It's not God saying, you know, don't be just stupid, or 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 ignorant. It really is a fool is one who lives without an awareness of the connection between his or her choices and the consequences. Let me say that again. This is important. When you read about foolish people or a fool in the scriptures, the way a fool is defined through the Bible is one who does not live with an awareness of the connection between their choices and the consequences. A fool doesn't get that every choice has a consequence for good or evil something is going to happen and Paul is saying that we should live carefully be wise that we need to walk in a way that that is is careful and wise and that if we aren't careful, careful we will find ourselves straying too close to a danger zone and getting hurt and a part of being wise we all want to be wise you know, I've never talked to a person that doesn't want to be wise never christian non-christian everybody wants a little bit more wisdom we want to be wise well A part of being wise is keeping our eyes wide open and looking for danger. Being aware and understanding that every choice I make, for good or evil, has a consequence. And being careful to make good choices. Again, we live in a culture that looks at sex outside of marriage as recreational activity, as normal and natural and no big deal. I know that's the culture we live in. But hedonism has replaced holiness, and the truth is. It's destroying lives and it's destroying marriages. I am an old guy. I am older than the Super Bowl. Teresa's right. And I lived through the 60s and the sexual revolution of the 60s. And I know the devastation that this brought to so many people's lives. And that really was the beginning of a sexual cultural revolution that has continued in so many ways. And the media makes it normal our culture makes it normal and what they don't show you but as a pastor I have seen it thousands I'm not exaggerating thousands of times is the devastation that comes to people's lives when they choose to go their, their way rather than God's way the hurt and the pain and the angst and the sorrow and the struggle that comes when we decide to go our way the good news is and what I believe is that I truly do and most of our youth uh, this morning, they're, they're at a high school camp, winter camp. I believe that there's something going on in our youth, in our church, and in the youth across America. And I believe, I truly do, I pray this and I believe this, that the day is coming soon when the course of this world is going to begin to become very apparent. You see, one of the things that I saw and became uh, aware of in the late 60s and early 70s is out of the sexual revolution, guess what else happened? The Jesus People Movement and by the millions millions young people were coming to Christ because they found out that their way was a way that led to death the Bible says it's the way that seems right to man but it leads to death they found out that when Jesus said there's a narrow road and a wide road it choose the narrow road because it's the way that leads to life that they found out man the wide road leads to death and by the millions young people began to come and turn to Christ and movements like Calvary Chapel and Chuck Smith started because these people realized that their way was leading to death and they needed they needed God. And so I'm hopeful that it's not too late for our culture. But millions of people give themselves away to multiple partners outside of marriage every day. And they do it without understanding that they're tearing at the very fabric of their soul every time they do. Research. Not just Christian research, research has shown that sexually active teenagers are more likely to be depressed and suicidal. Check out the Heritage Foundation for information on that. Study after study has proven that the ability to bond, to bond to people, to bond in marriage, is uh, to bond to, you know, uh, uh, is, is, is to sexual health, family health, and marital stability, that ability to bond is affected by the premarital sex. When individuals engage in sex outside of marriage, and they have sex with somebody, and they break up. And they have sex with someone else, and they break up. And they have sex with someone else, and they break up. That it actually affects their ability to bond with, hopefully someday, a lifelong marriage partner. It impacts. It jeopardizes their ability to bond with that person. Obviously, this affects our ability to enter into and sustain a lasting marriage. Without healthy emotional, physical, relational bonds, we have marriage issues and what the research has proven is that every time we give a piece of ourselves away to someone else that we're actually robbing our eventual marriage partner hopefully lifelong marriage partner that we lose the ability to bond to them now that's the facts that's the the statistics I'll insert this now and I'll say it again at the end in Christ all things become new God gives us the ability to redeem and restore and renew our lives and he gives us hope but the pattern of our way going our direction leads us into a situation that's very difficult and very disturbing studies have shown that those who have even one sexual encounter prior to their marriage with someone else that 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 uh, experience is linked to a higher risk of divorce secular research again has shown that cohabitation has harmful effects because it teaches a couple that they can have the benefits of marriage without the commitment and that fosters this type of independence that's not compatible with a healthy marriage you know we have a, a culture that actually applauds independence Let me say this, in a marriage, God intends you to have interdependence. Interdependence, where it's not that you lose yourself, but that you become connected in a partnership with each other. And cohabitation, again, facts, statistics, not even Christian research has proven that those who cohabitate before marriage have a more difficult time lasting and having sustaining marriage because they've experienced the, quote, unquote, benefits of marriage without the commitment. Did you know? That the more promiscuous you are before marriage, the more likely you are to commit adultery after you are married. Why? Well, because sexually and self-indulgent people have no practice of self-restraint. I run into this so often; it just it disturbs me a great deal. And I'm a, a little passionate about this because, guys, I deal with the the downside, the struggle, the broken lives all the time. And what hurts me, what bothers me, what I see all the time is that. People get married and they think, you know, guys think, well, you know, yeah, I was very sexually active and I had all these partners and I finally got married. And when I get married, that'll all just stop. My desire for that will just stop because finally I have a wife and I'm satisfied, you know, and all I once met in her. And what they don't understand is that when you develop a pattern of unrestraint, a pattern, a lifestyle of sexual promiscuity, of engagement with multiple partners, that just because you get married, Married doesn't mean that uh, that desire goes away, and in fact, in some ways, and I had a guy come to me years ago, a young man, probably 26, 27, been married a couple years. He came to me, he said, "Kurt, I actually married this couple." He said, "Kurt, I need to talk." Great, let's get together. He told me the story. He said, I, "Here's my struggle." He said, "I was very sexually active before we got married. My wife and I got married. I thought it would solve all my problems. The fact of the matter is, I still had this incredible desire, and these were his words, for conquest." I just, I'm always thinking and tempted to want to have sex outside of marriage with my wife because I just had this, and I, it, he didn't use the words, but was, it was a pattern. This a pattern of, of life that he'd lived for so long. And he said, and even when I'm making love to my wife, here's what I do. All too often, I fantasize about previous sexual partners, which, by the way, Jesus calls that adultery. If it's happened here, it's in your heart, and it's adultery. I could go on and tell you the struggles of so many others unbelievable things like the rise it's not in decline the rise of stds the fact that single moms are a huge demographic and they struggle we're kidding ourselves and burying our heads in the sand if we think we can just dismiss casual sex as no big deal now again i'm a pastor and i realize i'm a christ follower and i deal with this all the time but even in a, from a secular statistical viewpoint you cannot deny the impact that this has had, the negative impact this has had on our culture. It's a huge deal that affects people emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And it's deeply affecting our culture and the church. Why? Because too many have a view of premarital sex that is far from God's view, and they don't see the consequences. Let me say it one more time, at least. God is not a killjoy, God is not mean. He's not harsh. His call to holiness is not harsh. It is because he's has your best interest in mind. He wants you to experience wholesome sexuality in marriage, and he wants you to be the whole person that he created you to be. And sex connects two people in body, heart, and spirit. And that's why it's so powerful. That's why people think it's just a physical thing. It's just physical release. No, you know it's not. You in your heart, I don't have to argue this point because you know it's not. You know it's more than just physical. Now after a while it might just become another physical release and maybe it's not as emotionally and and, and mentally bonding to you know your twentieth partner but we know in our knower that this is something deeper that's why it's so powerful and we were created experiences with one person in an amazing and marvelous way as a bond in our marriage in a covenant marriage that's why god gave this gift of sex did you know that, according to other surveys, couples who waited to marriage to have sex have the following advantages: that they have higher relationship stability and satisfaction, not lower, but higher; they have better sex, guilt-free sex, and they've grown together in this. And they have better communication in their marriage. You know why? Because it started with friendship and communication, and not with jumping in the sack together. And so it forced them to develop relationship and communication skills that are really good for a long-term marriage. Premarital sex always has consequences. Obeying God always has blessings. Always. And that's why the Bible is clear about this issue. Sex outside of marriage is sexual immorality. One more scripture verse regarding this. first Thessalonians 4 3 through, 3 through 5. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What does that mean? Holy, set apart, special. That you're really unique and special for, for God's purposes. That you should avoid sexual immorality, same word that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Notice here it says that you'd learn to control your own body. This is not something we're born with naturally. We don't just wake up with self-control. We've got to learn and develop that we would learn to control our body in a way that is holy, honoring to God. If we love God, our lives should honor Him. And one way that we honor God is by living within the guardrails that he's provided for our good, for our protection. Okay, well, let me shift gears. Maybe you're thinking, hmm, uh, thanks for all of that, but it's too late. I can't wait. It's, it's, uh, I've already blown it, and uh, that ship has already sailed. And I don't think that's possible for me. I really don't think it's possible. I just can't undo what's been done. Well, I want you to hear this. Your self-will is probably not enough to battle sexual immorality. Wait a minute, didn't you just tell us that we need to have more self control? Yeah. Now you're telling me that we don't have enough power in ourselves to deal with it. I'm saying that's right. Most of us will not stay within the guardrails in our own power. We need help. We need God. We need others. Why? Well, because sexual drive in most humans is incredibly powerful, it's strong. And we, li- we live in a culture that is constantly sending us, bombarding us with sexual stimuli. Constantly. You can hardly drive down. A major street without seeing a billboard that's inappropriate. You can't go to the mall without seeing, you know, super-sized women in bras. Primetime TV. Don't even get me started. I mean, program after program. And last night we were watching something, and I don't normally watch commercials. And Lore night there was a commercial for "Sex in the Single Life" or something. Like some new movie is coming out, and it, it, you know, was all. It, it was kind of a comedy, and it, they. I, I watched it. And it was like 90 seconds or 60 seconds of this commercial, and it was all about, guess what? Sex. And they made it comedic and funny, and I wish they would just show the tragic results of what happens when this really plays out in real life. And then don't even get me started about the internet. We're constantly exposed to sexual stimuli. Never before in the history of mankind have we had to deal with more than we deal with right now. Now, sexual sin has always been a problem from the beginning, people have always blown it. We, this, that's mankind. That's our history, but we've never lived in a time where the overwhelming, uh, just saturated with sexual stimuli from everywhere. So what do we do? Well, let me punch through five things real quick that I want to encourage you to, to do. I don't want to leave you today without some hope. So here's one thing. Number one, to stay pure, we must guard our eyes, our mind, and our heart. We need to guard our mind, our eyes, and our heart. There are things we just need to click and stop watching. Make a decision not to go there. James 1, 14 and 15. James says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, which when it's full grown, gives birth to death. It doesn't end well. The battle begins here in our mind, in our heart. So be careful and be wise. Make good choices. Number two, to stay pure, we must stay full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5:18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who say, well, I didn't mean to do that, but I got drunk. And yesterday and I knew what happened. Yeah, leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Listen to me. This is some really good news for you guys. For those of you who are Christ followers, I need you to hear this. What God expects from you, He empowers you to do. Let me say it again. What God expects from us, He empowers us to accomplish. We have His power available. All we need to do is ask for it, receive it, walk in it. God doesn't say, stop that, or you're in big trouble. What he says is, don't go there because I love you, and I'm going to give you all the resources of heaven to help you make holy choices. Get and stay full. Number three, to stay pure, we need to saturate our minds with scripture. We need to just to, to wash them clean of all the stuff in our culture that's constantly stimulus, that's unholy. We need to saturate our minds with scripture. Psalm 119, 11 I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I learned that as a little boy. Memorize that scripture. I've hidden my word in your heart that I might not sin against you. Hebrews 4:12 says God's word is powerful, and it, it cuts to the very mo- bone and marrow, and it gives us what we need strength to say no. Number four, to stay pure. We need to be in supportive and accountable relationships with others. We need God, and we need each other. Hebrews 3:13: Encourage one another daily. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Love, love, love this verse. Encourage one another daily. That word encourage, we think it just means, hey, say nice things and, and you're really doing sweet. I love you. You're awesome. Well, the word literally means to provoke, to encourage, to warn, to admonish, to urge, to challenge. The scriptural way we encourage one another is we say, hey, you can do better. Hey, that's going to get you in trouble. Hey, that's not a good idea. That's not wise. We encourage, we warn, admonish, challenge. Why? So that you may not be hardened by sins, deceitfulness. We need people in our lives who will ask us the tough questions, who will say, "Hey, how are you doing in this? How are you doing with your mind, your heart, your eyes? Are you making good choices? How can I help you? We need each other. Number five, the last one: to stay pure. We need to stay passionate about our relationship with God. Passion about our relationship with Jesus. John 14:50, Jesus said, "If you love me, you'll obey my commandments." Now, the more religious people, they like to land on the last part: obey the commandments, and they completely bypass the most important part of this verse. Jesus said, "If you love me, you see, fear and guilt are really lousy motivators. They work for about an hour. And some of you grew up in churches like I did, where that's what they used. to, You know, man, they, it was guilt. It was guilt, 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 guilt. You know, you don't go there, horrible person. You get, you better stop that. And you know, and 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 guilt and shame. And they try to use that to motivate us to change. How'd that work for you? Not very good. They're lousy motivators because what it does, it drives us into the darkness at the best. We just stop acting like we have a sin even though we do. What motivates us to want to change is love. Understanding the love God has for us and then loving Him. Understanding the incredible love. That's why I started there. I want to finish here. It's love. Love motivates us to change. When you understand that God has loved you and given you parameters to live by so, because of his love, and then you love him in response, you'll want to do the right thing. Love motivates you to want to obey God. Guard your heart and mind. Get stay full of the Holy Spirit. Stay in the Word. Be connected and accountable. And stay madly in love with Jesus. Those are at least five things that will help you say no to sin and yes to God. Well, let me finish with this. What if you've fallen or stumbled in sexual sin? What if you're sitting here thinking right now, or watching this online, you're thinking, ah, too late for me. Ah, again, down there, been there, done that, failed too many times. It's just, I, just, nope, can't change. It's just part of who I am now. What if you've blown it? Well, let me say this. You're surrounded by a, by a bunch of people who have blown it as well. Sam Albury, last week I quoted him, who said, all people are not just sinners, they have sexually sinned. We're all not just sin. We've all all I love it's true. We've all sinned sexually. At the very least in our thoughts and our minds, we've failed. And what I want you to hear today is you're surrounded by people who, you're in good company of a bunch of broken people who have failed miserably. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's made big mistakes. And that's why we all need a savior. And part of our encouragement and challenge to each other is you know what, been there, I've been broken. That doesn't have to be the end of the story. Jesus wants to help you he will I'll help you and the good news is regardless of what happened yesterday last night last week or 10 years ago we can start over God offers us the ability to move into the new as we follow him see his specialty is redemption restoration and renewal what I love offering to people versus shame and guilt is the hope that we have in Christ the hope that we have because of him That God's specialty, listen, his specialty is redemption, restoration, and renewal. We've all failed. But whatever your failure has been, the good news is God can help you, and he can change you from the inside out to become the man or the woman he wants you to be. And he wants to change you because he loves you. The young man that I mentioned earlier who had multiple sexual partners, was struggling, wanting to. Experience the thrill of conquest and fantasizing about others. You know why he came to me? Because he does love God and because he does love his wife. And I can tell you the good news is God helped him and brought wholeness and change into his life. But it was because he loved Jesus and loved his wife. What drove him to want of repentance was the kindness. Romans says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Jesus. In Him, the impossible becomes possible, and the unthinkable becomes thinkable. That's the good news we have in Christ. And to illustrate that, I'm going to share one last story, then I'm going to pray for you. We're done. Many years ago, I had a friend. Uh, she's in Phoenix now. And uh, when I first met her, uh, she was not a Christ follower. And as I got to know her, she told me her story. And here's just the highlights or the lowlights of her story. As a child, she was sexually molested by uh, her uncle. At 15 years of age, she became sexually active, had multiple partners, uh, sexual partners in high school and college. Somewhere in her college years, she began to uh, experiment with lesbianism, and became a full-on lesbian in her practice and in her choices. Uh, in the course of like seven, eight, nine years—I don't remember exactly—but it was not that length long of time. She had four or five abortions. And uh, when she came to me, she said, here's what she said to me. She said, Kurt, too late for me. Name it, and I've done it. If if you would call it a sexual sin, if you'd call it messed up, name it, I've done it, I've been there. And she didn't believe that there was hope, there was change possible for her. And I told her what I want you to hear today. Change is his specialty. No one is beyond the reach of God. No one is too far. No one has sinned too much. No one has gone too, down, too far down any road that God can't meet them there and bring them health and wholeness and restoration. And that's what he did for her. And today, she's married with three amazing kids. And God has brought that woman wholeness because he believed in, in him. The impossible became possible and the unthinkable became thinkable because of Jesus. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I know... Um, lots of us have failed and we failed in sexual ways that maybe we think nobody else knows about but you know it all you see it all and I pray God with all my heart I pray that not one person sitting in this room right now or listening to this online would feel guilted or shamed or like they've been beat up but Lord just the opposite that they would feel today encouraged challenged, provoked to turn to you, the God who heals us and redeems us and restores us. The God who works through a mess of our lives that we've created and brings something good. And that now one person here, Lord, some of us, a lot of us have already made the decision to be Christ followers. Some of us still need to confess sexual sin and, and, and ask you to forgive us and ask you to cleanse us and, and we need to surrender that to you. Some of us have other sins in our lives. So we we need to say no to sin and yes to you. And God, I pray that for every Christian, every Christ follower in this room, that they would do that this morning, that they would see your way is the best way, and that they would say no to sin and yes to you. And that they would then draw on all the resources of heaven. The power of the word, the Holy Spirit, of fellowship, of connection with others to help them become the man, the woman that you want them to be. And so, Lord, let us leave you here today encouraged by your love and motivated to love you and to live within those guardrails because of love lord keep your head bowed and your eyes closed maybe here today you've not yet started your life as Christ's follower but you're realizing today you know it's time you get it you, you understand that god loves you you believe in that love you know you need a savior And right now you just there's something in your gut and your heart you just know it's time for you to say yes to God to surrender your life to him the two hardest words for us is to say to God I surrender right after that I was wrong I surrender but I I'm asking you to in this moment to understand that his love for you can change you and it's his love for you that has brought you here today and it's his love for you that will give you a brand new fresh start and if you're ready today to make that decision to become a Christ follower, to surrender your life to him, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just make this prayer yours right now. Father, I get it. I have failed. I have sinned. I've made a mess of things. I've gone my own way, and I've gone way outside of the, the parameters, the guardrails, the directives that I know I need to live in. And Today, I also get that I need a Savior. I need you. And so I surrender. I surrender my past, what I've done. I surrender my present, what I'm doing. I surrender my future, even my hopes and dreams. I surrender my life to you. Because I get that that's where I'm going to experience eternal life and the dream you have for me. And so I say yes to you right now. I want to follow you. if that's you, that's your heart your own way to say, yep, God, that's what I want. And the cool part about this is the second, the instant, the nanosecond, we say yes to God. He embraces us as His child. And the Holy Spirit now comes to live within you. Some of you feel that right now. It's the Holy Spirit quickening that part of you that was dead and now alive. And identifying you now as a child of God forever. You belong to Him. And from this point on, you're not walking this journey on your own. But you have all of God and all of his resources, and all of us to stand with you and to walk with you in this journey. Lord, thank you for those that have made that decision right now. Seal it in their heart that they belong to you, and that they truly are forgiven. Forgiven. And now empower them to walk with you from here into eternity. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're to finish with one last song, and I, I want to encourage you to make this song a prayer. Some of you, uh, you made the choice today to surrender some sin. Some of you made a choice to surrender your life, become a Christ follower. And today you can sing this song from your heart for the first time as truth. But let's all worship, let's make this declaration that we surrender our lives to Him, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Like a lot of you, have been watching uh, debates, and uh, I'm, this is not a political statement, but I've noticed that various... Uh, Bernie Sanders has appealed to millennials because he keeps talking about a, a political revolution. And I, I watch that, I hear that, and I realize that we've experienced for decades now a sexual revolution in our country that's left its toll. I want to suggest that way more than a political revolution, we need a revolution of relationship. We need an encounter with God that changes us from the inside out. And it's my hope, it's my prayer as a pastor, as a father, as a grandfather. And I think about it, pray for my great, my, my uh, eight, grandkids all the time, saying, Jesus, I want the world that they know to be a world filled with you. Today, if you made the choice to surrender your life to him, we want to walk with you in that journey. On the tables, by the door, there's a packages, New Believers, it's got a Bible, some material, you are starting to walk with Jesus, the information about the First Steps class, which is designed for you, is there. Get one of these, pick one of these up, sign up for the class. We want to walk in this journey with you. As I said, you're not alone. All the resources of heaven, and that includes us, we're here to help you to walk with you this journey. If you need prayer, prayer team would be down front. There's communion available on both sides of the room. But here's my hope for you. Here's my desire. My prayer for you is that you leave here today. And that if you remember one thing, you remember this. God's called you to a way of life because he loves you. Because he loves you. Loves you more than the life of his own son. He loves you. And if you'll leave here today and walk this week throughout your life. Wherever you go, whatever you do, remembering that God loves you. I promise you, that will change the way you live. And that's what I hope for you. Thanks for being here today. God bless you guys. And uh, go Seahawks. See you later.